verse 15. I said verse 15, I meant 13. So chapter 1, verse 13 in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And then we'll look at uh, 10 verses in chapter 2. So one verse here, I believe, with verse 13. And then on to chapter 2. So from the earliest, my earliest recollection as a believer, I always had an affinity for this letter. So if you were to look at a Bible of mine back in the day, um, the pages uh, would have been well-worn in this letter. It seemed like I always just loved the letter. What's not to love about Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus? Eventually, um, I got around to the rest of the Bible. It's all good. But <laughs> we're here tonight and uh, with material that I think is familiar to most of us, uh, and it should be. And I trust that after tonight, it's more familiar, and we're uh, growing in our appreciation of what God did in our lives in those early days of turning to him and trusting him. So one verse here, verse 13, I think here, uh, while Paul uh, gives the broad scope of all that God has done in the life of a believer. Here in verse 13, he narrows that scope from, you know, we have an inheritance in the Lord. Yes, but here in verse 13, he is really encapsulating what it means to be saved, what it means to become a child of God. And I think it's uh, uh, words that are worth our attention tonight as we think about our, our salvation in him. So verse 13, in him, and the him there is, is Jesus, in him. You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Let's read 14. It's hard to stop Paul once he gets a sentence going. He says, the spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of of his glory. Father in heaven, we thank you for the time tonight. We thank you for the words from the book of Numbers and Luke chapter 24. We thank you for that. We thank you, God, for Psalm 47. And we thank you, Lord, for these wonderful uh, hymns, these uh, Christmas carols that uh, just, Lord, we're able to just uh, pour out our hearts to you and praise as we, as we sing these songs. We thank you for 
the piano accompaniment that Shirley's there to play and Jeff leading tonight. And God, it's so sweet just to be here in the simplicity of a service that is holy and entirely uh, directed toward you. And we just once again offer to you our thanks, our appreciation for the salvation that we have in Jesus. And we, we pray this in his name. Amen. So think about your salvation. Paul talks about it right here. And he's, he's referencing these, these believers in Ephesus. In him. He's talking you also. So you, you. Ephesian believers, you who trusted Christ, those of you that I'm writing to. He says, after listening to the message of truth. So there's truth coming to bear on the minds and hearts of people. Okay. And, and we have the record in the book of Acts that, that Paul was there. He was the apostle who brought the gospel to Ephesus. Uh, so he is uh, the speaker. He was the one bringing the message of truth to the people. This is all important. Right? Truth is important. You know, in, in our day and age, uh, the folks that, uh, uh, the, the, the heavy hitters, the powers that be, the, the unbelievers are, are so adamantly against absolute truth, anything absolute. You know, truth to, truth to someone on the outside is just, you know, whatever you, you know, whatever fits you, whatever you want to believe. You know, and you'll hear people say, well, you just be you. Well, that's, we are, we have no trouble in our lost estate being who we are. And that is sinful folks um, that just act naturally. Um, but there is truth. There is, there, there is truth and there are absolutes. I mean, there's, there are laws of nature, for crying out loud. You dare not defy those laws of nature. There, there are spiritual laws. We dare not defy God's spiritual laws. And I think when Paul mentions this, you know, the message of truth, you know, he's talking about these spiritual realities. And, and it's so important, it's, it's really neat that, you know, when God, um, when God commissioned these apostles, and specifically Paul here, he, he sent them forth to bring a message, the message of truth. He didn't just... He didn't just send them out to, you know, entertain the masses or try to, you know, drum up some kind of uh, new religion. He sent them out to talk about spiritual realities. And, and it's good for us because we as uh, sinful human beings, we like to, yeah, we, we will give assent to the laws of nature. But we, we don't normally like to think about spiritual laws. We, it's, we find it very easy 
uh, to just neglect or ignore the spiritual laws, the spiritual part of life. And that's really, it's really important that we care about our own spiritual well-being. And then going from there, it's really important that we care about the spiritual well-being of others. That's what Paul is doing when he's bringing the message of truth. Why else would he bring the message of truth that God had commissioned him with, except that he cares about the spiritual condition of the people? He's reminding them, he's talking to them about spiritual realities. Things that in the normal course of life and the world that we live in, people don't want to hear. It's, uh, if I could just throw this in there, it's, um, it's one reason that um, a funeral service is so, so much of an opportunity to remind folks, either, either you're reminding them for, of something or you're presenting something maybe new to them, but of spiritual realities. You know, because we, we normally, we don't want to think about, people don't want to think about death and they don't want to think about the afterlife. But these are spiritual realities and God has a plan. And he's got some absolutes that, are, that fit in with death and with life after death and how you can uh, live eternally with him in heaven and how you can escape uh, judgment in hell. So this is the message of truth. And it's, it's not a message that you and I um, you know, it's, it's, this message is not of man's invention. That's what I want to say. It's of, it's of God. This message comes from heaven. This message is of God. And so he says, in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, so the, he presented the message and there were some listeners. <laughs> it's always good. Always good. I'm reminded on, uh, especially at evening services back in the day, uh, you know, I preach a Sunday night service. This is when the kids were young. And, you know, before it's over, there's four, four laid out in the pew because you have plenty of room on a Sunday night to lay, lay, lay out in the pew just to sleep, you know. So uh, I don't know what that says about listening. But anyway, they were young. They were young. So... Um, so it always helps to listen, you know, listen to the message of truth. Uh, how, how do you listen uh, to a message? Well, uh, one thing that I would encourage you to do, and this is good for those who hear for the first time or who uh, hear for the upteenth time uh, concerning the message of truth is first listen for a text to be presented from the scriptures. Yeah, listen for a text. Uh, it's good for a preacher, pastor to have a text of scripture. And then it's good to read that text and it's good to expound on that text, to go right back to the text uh, after you read in public and, and, and talk about the, the text of scripture. What, what did it mean then and what, what does it mean or how does it apply to us now? All these are good things, but this is what you listen for. Listen to, listen for the text 
and listen prayerfully and listen attentively um, as uh, the message is presented. So he says, after listening to the message of truth. So he's about to talk about something that happens after. So they listened to the message of truth. They heard, there it is, the gospel. So we believe that the message of truth and that next little part, the gospel of your salvation, those are synonymous. Those are together, okay? Different words, same concept. Truth, the gospel. Truth, the gospel of your salvation. He says, after you listen to it, He says, having also, and this is important, believed. You believed. So there is a a response that is required when the message of truth, the gospel, is uh, presented. And I think, uh, you know, there's obviously those that hear a message or hear the message of truth for the first time. And that's of, uh, it's of utmost importance that a, a decision is made, that a response is given to believe, to believe that message so that you can, you can be saved. You can be considered uh, a child of God, adopted into his family. That's really important. Um, so we, we want to, we, we preach for uh, those who hear for the first time or hear for the Upteenth time, but have not yet believed that they would believe that faith should be a part of this. So he says, this is basically how one becomes a Christian, right? This is how one comes to be in the family of God. And this happens in him, meaning that this is all of him. It's all of him. Uh, The... The opportunity, the the time set aside, the the messenger, the listeners, the prayer, the the encouragement, uh, it's it's all of him. Salvation is of the Lord. We've said that over and over, but it really is of the Lord. And so we, we want to stay with the text and we want to stay with the gospel, the truth, uh, the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation and and. And Paul says in Romans 1 that it is the power of God. What? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. So, wow, power in the gospel. Not necessarily power in the, in the messenger, but there's power in the gospel. What a story of Christ, what a what what a, a truth that is being presented concerning God and His great love that He He would send His only begotten Son into the world that He would offer His own life, His only Son offering His own life, laying His own life down for sinful men, for those who have who have become enemies of God, those who were enemies of God. Jesus came to save. He himself said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And this is an essential ingredient of this gospel of our salvation. That we as sinful men, unable to save ourselves, though we try. And I mean, that's futility. It's futility. It's chasing the wind. 
uh, to think that man can save himself. But God knows better and he sent his son to do the work. And he died in our place, in our stead. That those who would trust him would be saved. And how how could they trust him except they've heard the story. And Paul relates that. He reminds them, I was there. He was preaching this message of truth, this gospel of your salvation. He's preaching it to these. And he says, having also believed, they believed. Having also believed what? Well, the message of truth. But what happened next? He said, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So at some point, as these folks were hearing the message of the of truth, the gospel of their salvation, at some point in there, they believe the light comes on and they are sealed. He says, having, having also believed, he said, after listening to the message of truth, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And he gives us this added information that the Holy Spirit of promise is given as a pledge or a down payment of our inheritance. So we, we, are, we enjoy the seal of the Holy Spirit But that's just the down payment of our inheritance in glory. We'll say it that way. And this is with a view to the redemption of God's own possession and all this to what? To the praise of man, to the praise of... No, it's to the praise of his glory. We said it a while ago, salvation is of the Lord... It is God who sent his son. It is the message of Jesus that is presented and God does the work. Uh, He says, having also believed. So it's simple trust. Okay, we hear the truth. There's simple trust. And what happens? You're sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, the trust in Jesus is not just intellectual. Because you've got that verse in the Bible that says the demons also believe and they tremble. The, the demons, they, they know God is real and Jesus is real. But they don't trust Christ. They don't trust him. They are, in fact, they're out to destroy his work. Now they're defeated and they know it. But they're going to kick up. They're going to kick up some dust before Christ comes and they don't have that long to do it. So they're really active and involved in the world and blinding the minds of the unbelievers in tempting believers and all of that. But, but we've been sealed in Jesus with the Holy spirit of promise. And the seal is for three things, three reasons. A seal in that day would authenticate a document. So it was a authentication. It was like, uh, it was like you, uh, in our day, you go to a notary, you need a witness. You're going to sign off on some important paper. Somebody is there. They're an official. Boom. This is, this is real. The second thing a seal does is it shows ownership of property. Did you know you've been bought with a price that you are not your own, but you belong to God. 
that's that's part of what a seal means, and that's what it means here. The Holy Spirit seals us, and He authenticates who we are, and He uh, it determines the seal uh, shows ownership of property. We belong to God. We are the Lord's. We're not our own. We've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus shed on Calvary's cross. We belong to him. And then back to what he says about you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. This seal would secure that property. It would secure it. And in this case, listen, if, if you listen, if this applies to you, if you listen to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed, you were sealed in him, you are secure in him. Whenever, and I know sometimes doubts come into our minds, but you just need to go back to the word of God if you ever doubt this. Go to John 10, just read it. Memorize it. Digest it. I mean, Jesus says, you know, no one's going to snatch you out of my hand. And then he doubles down on it. Nobody, the father, you're not going to, no one can take God's child away from him. It doesn't happen. We are sealed, meaning we are secure in him. Well, you know, sometimes it's just wonderful going back to the nuts and bolts, isn't it? Just back to, back to the source of the, of the good word here and just to hear. I, I trust you're thinking about your salvation. There had to be a message there. Somebody had to share the truth with you. And then somewhere along the line, you believed. And when you believed, listen. When you believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's all in one. And that's because of your faith. And your faith is because of the message. And the message is because God wants to save those who are lost. So uh, over in, if you go over to chapter 2, Paul uh, broadens things just a little bit. I want to read this and just, I, you know, we have it. We have it, this whole the process, if you want to call it a process, in verse thirteen. I love that verse because it's. Hey, listen. A child can understand, yeah. and sometimes adults don't. But a child can understand, and you and I have understood what this message was all about. And, and this is the heart of it right here in verse 13. I've got it underlined, I, I highlighted, that is, verse 13, but I highlighted just about all the book. Um, because that's just what I do sometimes, and it gets a little confusing. But anyway, let's look at chapter 2. And look at, okay, these people, before they heard the message of truth, what's Paul say? He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, folks, dead is dead. It ain't, it ain't sick. It's dead. 
He says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And no surprise there because the wages of sin is what? It's death. It's death. Why do we need a savior? Well, because we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And we can't help ourselves and we can't save ourselves. And Paul doubles down on that right there. He says, in which you formerly walked, so you're, even though you're dead, you're walking. So that kind of reminds you, of, you know, this modern thing of these, these uh, dead people coming to life, zombies, you know, the zombie thing. Uh, that's kind of like what, what he's talking about here. It's kind of a picture of a zombie. You're, you're, you're dead in sin, but you're walking. It looks like you're alive, but no, you're dead in your sins. He says, in which you formerly walked, this is your life. According to the course of this world, you were going right along with this world, right along with the culture, right along with whatever, anything and everything coming down the, the pike. He says, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So there is the life before Christ. Now, he doesn't mention specific sins. But he gives a general view of what's taking place in a lost person's life. He says, among them, we too all formerly lived. How? How did we live, Paul? He said, we lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And that children of wrath, I don't know what you think about that, but I'm pretty sure that he means that we are enemies of God. We're children of wrath. We're going to, oh, yeah, we know. God, he is up there. General revelation, we, there's a creator. This doesn't happen without a creator. Um, we know, and we're going to shake our fist in God's face, and we're going to go do our own thing. So we're, we're driven by the lusts of our flesh, we indulge the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And by nature, we just act naturally. We're children of wrath, even as the rest. Even as the rest, even as other lost people. And then that wonderful verse 4 in those first two words, but God. But God. Well, tell us about it, Paul. He says, but God being rich in mercy. <laughs> that word for mercy, that word mercy. It has to do with uh, God taking away the consequences of sin. God's rich in mercy. You know, think about this. God doesn't want you... He didn't want you separated from him for all time. He wants you with him. God doesn't, God doesn't want you uh, in eternal fire or eternal flame or eternal darkness. God wants you with him. He's rich in mercy. He doesn't want you to be in pain all eternity. He's rich in mercy. So, but God being rich in mercy... He's not, uh, he's not looking for mercy. Um, he doesn't need more mercy. He's rich in mercy. He's flush with mercy. 
Aren't you glad? Because of his great love, not just everyday average love, but great love. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were, there it is again, dead in our transgressions. So you can look back up there in verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And down here in verse 5, even when we were dead in our transgressions, there we were, dead in our transgressions. God, rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, did what? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We were dead. And in, in that condition of being dead in our trespasses and sin, what did God do? He, he came toward us in mercy and he was motivated by his great love. That's what he did. Lord knows we couldn't do anything on our own. We're dead in our transgressions. But God... God has taken the action here. God, rich in mercy. God, because of his great love, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. So I couple this right here. We were dead in our transgressions. And what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. And I go back over here to verse 13. And that has to be the part where having also believed. Right there. Having also believed there in verse 13, I believe that corresponds with God making us alive together with Christ. We believed we've been born again. And then he says, by grace you have been saved. Now grace refers to unmerited favor. So we don't deserve his favor. We don't deserve any of the benefits that God has. But it's not about us deserving. It's about God's grace. We're undeserving, but our gracious God grants us benefits. And first and foremost, being the benefit of salvation. In verse 13, he says, we believed when we heard the message of truth, the gospel of our salvation. Over here, he says, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And what else did he do? He raised us up with him. And what else did he do? He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So, I mean, it's not like we can ever exhaust the grace of God. He has lavished grace on us and he has more grace to lavish on us according to Paul here in verse 7 of chapter 2. So that in the ages to come, did you catch that? He might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by, here it is again, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. That trust that you expressed in God after you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, 
God making you alive together with Christ and raising us up with him and seating us with him in heavenly places. God has just graciously lavished his kindness toward us. It has, it's not of ourselves. We've said it, there is no self-salvation. It is grace, it is 100% grace of God toward us in this salvation that we enjoy. And there it is, he's going to double down in verse 9. It's not a result of works. Boy, that, you know, if it wasn't so cold, we'd just get on the roof and shout it from the housetops. It's not a result of works. But you know what? I know religious man. I've met them. They want, they want to add to. What can I do? Right? Happens. What can I do? Can I do something to make God look at me or maybe God would appreciate me a little more or give me a little more grace? What religious thing can I do? No. Right here it is. We want to add to it. No, don't do that. Just receive God's grace. And then all the rest that follows comes from a heart motivated by love for God and a desire to serve him. So it's not a result of works. So that so that there's a reason for that. Why is it not a result of our works, God? Well, so that no one may boast. And then he says this, for we are his workmanship. Did you know tonight you are his perfect poem? You are his perfect song? Uh, that uh, God has a, a design for you? Did you know that? You're his workmanship. You're special. You are. I think that's so sweet. We are his workmanship and we're created in Christ Jesus to do what? We're created for good works, meaning we're created to serve him. Yeah, that flows out of salvation. We're not saved because of these good works right here in verse 10. That's the aftermath of salvation that we've already experienced. I mean, what else would we want to do? Having believed the truth, having received the gospel, having been sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. I mean, what else would we want to do but serve God and love God? He says, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that what? Which God prepared beforehand. Hmm. Right over there. Blessed be, this is verse 3 and we're about there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4, right there it is. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. And right there it is. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Here it is. Which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You know, it really is true. He has a plan for your life and for mine. I want to encourage you tonight. 
Enjoy the salvation that God has brought to your life. Enjoy it. And, and understand the workings of God in bringing you to that point of faith. And all that was involved, the, the message of truth, all of it. And then that you believed, you trusted, and you were sealed. Father in heaven, we thank you for, uh, we thank you for the Apostle Paul. And we thank you for this wonderful letter to the church at Ephesus. And God, for these saints here tonight, um, Lord, what a, what a privilege and a pleasure just to be able to open the word with them and, and to, to hear the simple message of salvation. That, Lord, it's all about your care for us. We were going our own way. But you, oh God. Had a different idea. You sent your son and you wanted us to know. Of your great love and your riches in mercy. And Lord, you saved us. Not by anything we have done in the flesh, but simply by your amazing grace. And we appreciate that tonight. We celebrate that. And Lord, help us to be bold in our witness because there are many who do not know you. And let us go from here, Lord. Protect us. Give us wisdom and strength. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.